Good morning. Uh, I have a special announcement before I have the big announcement. Sarah Goodell, would you please come up here on stage? She wasn't as nervous as she was the first one because she didn't know what was going to happen. I want to be the first to congratulate her publicly for finishing all the requirements for eco-ordination. Don't go. Tomorrow night, our elders will gather to talk about the next steps uh, towards her ordination and becoming our next assistant pastor. Now we go. Now, I've heard that you can become a pastor online for like 20 bucks and do a wedding, right? That, if that's here, what Sarah's gone through is the ultimate of, of things. Seminary training, all the ordination requirements, while leading a full-time position here, while taking on all the responsibilities, while launching the fan ministry. So thank you, Sarah. Ask her questions about it after the service. I also want to thank you for coming home for church to hear this big announcement. I want to thank you being at home and watching this big announcement, our We Are Family Impact Initiative. This has been years in the making. I came here four years ago. We've had a theme uh, each year that I've been here. I wanted to each, each year has an L word. I want to love this church family just to get to know us and really put down roots here. Then I wanted to listen. And the leadership wanted to listen. What, what's the Lord laying on the heart of, of our congregation? What are the needs in our community? Let's listen to our, our partners, our Jerusalem, our two uh, schools that we uh, want to serve. Acts 1, 8, Jesus says, you're going to go out and, and be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and all out. So what's that most centerpiece are these two schools? What about our other partnerships uh, throughout South King County? What is the real big need that the Lord has placed us strategically to meet? We were listening. And then it was time to lead. We decided we are family. was really the, the centerpiece of, of what we are as a church. This isn't just a, a tagline. It really is what we embrace, how we treat one another, and how we want to treat those in our, in our growing community. And then what happened? Pandemic, everything shut down. I can tell you that was a very difficult time for all of you. And for me as a pastor, the theme of leaning into that was especially troubling because there's nothing quite like walking around a church that's empty because of something beyond our control. I mean, as a pastor, I want to use whatever gifts God's given me and my team to leverage for kingdom purposes, amen? We want to have an impact, and the place is empty. And the Lord spoke to me during those darkest times of the shutdown and said, this place will be full again. And not just Sundays. We, we have a vision that God has given us of seeing every day of the week ministry happening on this campus. Throw open the doors. Open it up. Bring the people in. Have the opportunity to bless, think about our kids in the after-school program. I mean, for myself, I caught a public bus, Oakland Public Transit home, latchkey kid. From 3 o'clock till 6, I'd watch MTV. That was my, that was my formative years. That's why I went to uh, great lengths to become a minister, because this is what, the only job I could, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> we have the opportunity to bless those, those kids and those families that are moving to the area. And I think about... Before the pandemic, we were ready to, to open a third worship service. But during the week, you would see uh, the great needs of this, of this community. 
our deacons would try to meet with someone to sit down and, and have a conversation with someone in need. Maybe they couldn't pay their rent. Maybe they were close to homelessness and there's a, a phenomenon that happens before someone lands on the street. They're couch surfing. They're asking friends for, for help because they can't pay rent. And so, so our deacons would meet with these folks throughout COVID, giving almost $100,000 away in, in blessing and investing in people's lives. And yet there's no place for them to meet. They literally would wander the halls looking for a quiet, just a quiet corner where you could have a, a private conversation. This allows for that. We've had two memorial services uh, in the past month. And one of them was in the sanctuary because it was a large one, but the other one was a smaller, more intimate family gathering in our, in our beautiful chapel. The chapel, though, had to be surrounded with black uh, cloth partitions because... At that moment, it was a chapel, but during the week, it's preschool, it's kids' ministry, it's AA, it's every other use. And so I'm just so thankful for the opportunity we have together to be challenged by the Lord, uh, to say, Lord, in this next month, this next month of, of prayer and listening to you, what would the Lord place on your heart to contribute and to pledge and to be a partner in this three-year endeavor that we have ahead of us? So... Uh, there is our packets for you to pick up with all the information here. There, there's a smaller version of it. Uh, you can also go to this website, uh, our website, backslash impact, to learn more and also to ask your questions. We'll be, we'll be in the uh, lobby afterwards. There's coffee, right? There's coffee. There's still donuts. Please eat donuts because I'm just, I'm about three in and I just can't, I don't think my heart can take any more. Uh, there's a place on that website for you to, Ask your questions, and we will get back to you, because this is a, a conversation we're having as a church family. All right, enough on that. Today's passage is a familiar story, and it's partly a financial stewardship message. I mean, come on. It has to be, right? I'm just, we just made this big pitch, have a little bit of a stewardship uh, vibe to it. Uh, but, but there's more going on in the passage that meets the eye. This passage, along with other ones throughout this series, our whole series has really been about two major themes. The gospel of grace, what Jesus does in our lives to bring us in, to, to be the one that can welcome every type of person into his family. The gospel of grace, and then the gospel implications. In light of what Jesus has done for us, how then are we to live? That's really what today's message, I hope, will aim to be. That's really what the whole year since January, the Knowing God series was about back in January. Who is God? What are the attributes of God, the characteristics of God? What do we understand of God's grace and love and mercy and, and wrath and, and all the characteristics that we understand of who God is in Scripture? And then how are we to live? So with that familiar passage, this reading is going to have a little uh, audience participation, Okay. All right, so I want to hear some grumbling and murmur. Can we have that? Let's hear a little grumble, like a little bit more. All right, imagine that the Astros are going to the World Series instead of the Mariners. Let's hear that one. Okay, right, right, that's about right. Okay, just wait for your cue. Here we go. Sorry, Rob. Luke chapter 19, verses 1 to 10. It will be on the screen. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was very wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, and, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. 
So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So Zacchaeus gladly came down at once and welcomed Jesus gladly. All the people saw this, ready, and began to murmur. He's gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today, Salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. The son of man came to seek and to save the lost. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I Googled this week, what is the ideal height for men? You want to know what it said? Ideal height for men? You ready? I See, we're, we're looking, we're kind of measuring. You can tell the person next to you how tall you are, guys. Ideal height for men, according to Google, it's a bit of a range. It says 5'11". Ooh, so close. Someone's like, oh, 5'11 to 6'3". 5'11 to 6'3". That's a, a big range. I'm 6'6", so I, I apparently am, am more than ideal. <laughs> Very humble. Very humble. I look to see which nation has... Uh, the tallest people. Where, where are the tallest men and women grown? Does anyone know? The Netherlands. The Netherlands. Average man in the Netherlands, six feet tall. True. And ladies, the average in Netherlands, five and a half feet tall. That's some serious uh, volleyball players. And then I read, then it went on. It was kind of scary because it said Dutch people are getting shorter and smaller. So I'm not sure what's going on with, with that. There are a lot of advantages to being as tall as I am. Uh, modesty is one of them. No, it, it boosts your confidence. Uh, it definitely uh, boosts your confidence. Turns out taller people often get paid more at work and they get more promotions. Have you heard that? It's true. There's a lower risk of heart disease. So I think I will have that extra donut. Thank you very much. And you can eat more. Because we all have hollow legs. And finally, probably most uh, relevant to our passage today, you can see over the crowd. Let's look at Zacchaeus. He's very rich. He's Jewish. He's unliked. And he's very short. A wee little man is he, right? We're talking 2,000 years ago. So you think averages, even people that lived in the Netherlands, probably the averages were, were lower, right? So he's, he's probably pretty short. I, I don't have much in common with, with a man who's very, very rich, Jewish, unliked, <laughs> and short. The only thing I have in common with Zacchaeus is that we are both saved sinners by the grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen? That's the hope of this passage. Uh, the message here, when you make an effort to experience Jesus, you're rewarded. So when I think about casting, uh, if, if we're directing a movie version of this, or maybe The Chosen will probably cover this, who would be cast in the role of Zacchaeus? And this is who I came up with, Danny DeVito, right? 
Danny DeVito, four foot ten. Look at that look. Look at that look. Of, he looks like a villain, doesn't he? This is from uh, the great TV show Taxi. Do you remember he just terrorized all those taxi drivers? Perfect. He's kind of like a Scrooge character, isn't he? David, it's too soon to start talking about Christmas, please. Too soon. Too soon. Now, after a quick read, the, the moral of the story seems to be Jesus can change your heart and make you more generous with your money, right? But there's more going on here than that level. Because Zacchaeus is not only rich, he's also a tax man. Jesus comes into our life. He wants to impact every area of our life. Rome squeezed every penny and resource out of conquered Israel. And men like Zacchaeus were Jews who colluded with the enemy, growing very rich and powerful off the backs of their own people. A Jewish tax collector, a chief tax collector, no less for Rome, was absolutely the most despised person in the whole nation of Israel. Even as Rob mentioned, another passage of a scene in the temple. And the bad guy, it seems to be set up, is a tax man. Here is the chief of tax men. No one would miss Zacchaeus if he were gone. No one would send flowers to his funeral. They probably would say, good riddance. We don't need his kind around here anymore. And see, that's why I think if we have your attention for just a few more minutes, that there's more going on here than just a moral tale of passing a plate. The story has gospel grace and gospel implications for all of us here and for you at home right now today. So Jesus is heading to Jerusalem. We're in Luke chapter 19. The end of, the, of this part of the story is drawing near. He's heading to Jerusalem. It's about 20 miles from Jericho to Jerusalem. And the residents of Jericho, this relatively large uh, town outside of Jerusalem, hate Zacchaeus. I really want to impress that upon you, how much they want him gone. Today's culture, we would say we want him canceled, right? We want him canceled. And if you ask someone, why do you want to cancel him? They might say, no, no, we just want him held accountable. We want him held accountable. Yes, and if he disappeared in the middle of the night, that would be fine too. And anybody who would even speak to him or associate with him, we want them out as well. Does this have any implications to our times? The stoked political nature? Forget about state or national, a school board race? When you hate the oppressor, you become the oppressor. Jesus teaches us not to judge based on appearance or reputation. So at a parade, I'm I'm happy, I'm magnanimous to allow shorter people to move up because I've got a full view. Oh, sure, Come come on up. Think of the scene that's happening here. Why is it that Zacchaeus cannot get up any closer It's because Zacchaeus was short, but he was also small in the eyes of the people. The crowd was blocking him from seeing Jesus. Money isn't the issue. 
it can't buy him a place of acceptance. You have to give old Z credit for being so persistent. I mean, he really, really wants to see Jesus, doesn't he? I mean, picture it. This is a a well-to-do, distinguished, at least looking, maybe not his character, but distinguished looking gentleman. I imagine he's a little bit older. I mean, you don't get, get to become the chief tax collector in your 20s or 30s. He's probably older, probably well-dressed. And the text says he runs ahead of the crowd and climbs a tree. Look him up at that tree. Imagine what the the wardrobe was back 2,000 years ago. Okay, maybe not. Maybe don't look. Let's not look and see what the indignity of him climbing that tree. And this is the setup. The crowd hates him. He's misplaced, unaccepted. They block him, they cancel him, they despise him, yet he's so curious that he would go to these ridiculous lengths to try to get his eyes on Jesus. Climb a tree. Who's looking for whom in this story? I wonder. Verse 5. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must Go to your house today. He climbed down at once and welcomed him gladly. When Jesus comes to the exact spot where Zacchaeus is, he says, get down here, ASAP. I'm coming to your house, Zacchaeus. Now, now friends, this is not just a matter of of having a a dinner party or like a, a nice respite. To invite someone into your house or to invite yourself into their house was to say, not just I want to come to your house, He was saying, I want to come into your life, Zacchaeus. I want to be a part of your life. Time is running out for Jesus. He's heading directly to Jerusalem through Jericho, the fastest route. And then he takes time to stop, to call out by name, Zacchaeus. Say, Zacchaeus, I want to come into your life. Friends, this is a picture of, of grace. Jesus doesn't say, Zacchaeus, if you would just apologize to all these fine people for being such a scoundrel, then maybe you and I can talk about having a visit. Maybe I'll even stop by your house. But if you get right first with the people and apologize publicly for the terrible things you've done, then we can have that conversation. That's not grace. He says, Zacchaeus, I want to come to your house. And this is grace. Now, now, does Zacchaeus need to be converted, changed, born again to enter in the kingdom of God? Does he, class? Yes, absolutely he does. But, but how? By first getting things right, by cleaning up, by cleaning up his act? No. So whether it's Zacchaeus with all that money and wealth or whether it's someone on Skid Row, we come to the Lord by his grace first. This invitation from Jesus is what matters. It's accepting Jesus' invitation to come into your life that comes first. Folks, this is the gospel. It's right here. It's for Jesus to come first. So who's chasing after whom here? And when it says that Jesus says, I want to come to your house, do you think he's really asking Zacchaeus? 
Or is he telling Zacchaeus, this is what's going to happen? Is he saying, would you please, pretty please, open up your heart? I'm knocking at the door. Because that's not what Revelation 3 is talking about either. He's demanding him to get out of that tree, to take him to his house. And that is radical grace. And look at his reaction. He climbs down the tree and welcomes him gladly. What's the reaction of the people? How do people react to radical grace? How do people react to radical grace of God extending that grace before there's been any sign of change in, in attitude, reputation, anything else other than an invitation? How do people react? Look at verse 7 again. They mutter and grumble. He's gone to be the guest of a sinner. No joke, right? Yeah. They line the streets to cheer the miracle worker. Look, here he comes. Maybe he can, he can heal my, uh, you know, my hurt toe, or maybe he can, he can touch and heal my flop sweat, or whatever it is. But not, not for this kind of person. And soon they will turn against him with muttering and worse. For Zacchaeus, he's stoked, but he's invited Jesus into his house, into his life. Yes, he's a sinner, but Jesus says in verse 10, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. So being a sinner is to be outside of God's will. It's to be lost. It's to be found to be in his will. It's to be found. It's to be a saint. So here is a sinner who has been found. I once was blind, but now I see I was lost and now found. And the people don't like it. You know, people don't often like the, the kind of people Jesus loves. One side note, so far in this series, the people who've come to Jesus have come out of a, a deep and obvious place of desperation. The leper, obvious desperation. The centurion, kind of un, un, unclear at the surface level, but when he starts talking about his love for his servant, well, it's clearly, he's clearly upset, desperate. And then the father last week with his boy, all desperate. Zacchaeus, not desperate, just curious. Just curious. He doesn't have any visible needs, but he's joyful to have Jesus in his life. And Jesus is happy to be the guest of misplaced. This is the gospel. Now for the gospel implications. What difference does Jesus make in our lives? What impact does he have through us? Look at verse 8. Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, remember whenever, I mentioned this before last week, when someone refers to Jesus as rabbi or teacher, they're not yet a person of faith. They haven't really gotten it. They haven't figured it out yet. But when they refer to him as Lord, they're in. Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Just, just, just take that in, just the genuineness of his response of joy. He's like, oh, look, look, Jesus, this is what I'm going to do. This is a life change right here. And what exactly did Jesus at this point do for Zacchaeus? I mean, this wasn't a, uh, um, typical like witnessing situation. They didn't have Bible study. 
Jesus didn't show him the four spiritual laws or ask him a bunch of questions about joining the team, right? They haven't had that conversation. What did Jesus do that would cause such joy to come out of Zacchaeus? I'll tell you what he did. He bore the disdain of the crowd. Jesus took on the hatred of the crowd on Zacchaeus' behalf. Jesus loved him at the cost of his own good reputation. The very thing money couldn't buy, but Zacchaeus deep down wanted a good reputation, respect, admiration. Jesus had all day long. That's why the crowds were there. And Jesus was willing to give that up and for the crowd to turn against him for for Zacchaeus. And the crowd that here mumbles and grumbles at Jesus, just as we just did. Let's be honest, we all do at times. Grumble at Jesus. We know better. That same crowd will soon turn on him and yell, crucify, crucify, crucify him. If he paid for his, with his reputation for Zacchaeus, he'll pay with his life for you and I. If Jesus' love and loss of reputation so moved Zacchaeus to have this kind of joy, how much more ought Jesus' sacrificial love for you and for me taking what we deserve, how much more should that impact us? Jesus gave up all of his riches, his freedom, his omnipotent power so that we can inherit heaven, live abundantly, be filled with power. So what are the gospel implications of the passage? Jesus says, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. Jesus isn't saying because Zacchaeus pledged a lot of money, he's saved. He's saying the change of Zacchaeus' attitude towards money is a sign that he is converted, changed forever, and he is now in Christ. So what are the implications? What's the impact God has through you and through me and through our church? I mean, look at how much money he's giving away. Half of all this money. Four times paid back to anybody he's cheated out of anything. Pretty broad category, don't you think? A chief tax collector, if I cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay them back four times. The line would be around the, for blocks, right? This is what's interesting about this. The Old Testament required and taught very clearly a, a tithe, 10%. The first day of the week, the beginning of the month, we bring our tithe, 10% pre-tax, we bring it as the first fruits to the Lord. That's taught in the Old Testament. We're to support charity, the poor, the temple, the Levites. That's what the Old Testament speaks to. And the Old Testament had a very clear provision if any one guy cheated out of a contract or a dispute or something, or rather. And, and the, when the judge would clarify whoever was at fault, the, the Old Testament specified you were to pay back all of what was lost plus 20% interest. Now look at what Zacchaeus does. Way over the standard, right? He doesn't give 10%, he gives 50%. Average churchgoer in America gives about 1% to 2% of income to charity. 
He doesn't pay back 120% for being a cheater. He gives 400%. Why so much? Two thoughts. Someone's thinking, Pastor P, is that what you're asking us to do? Two thoughts. First, Jesus approved of tithing. There's at least two examples in the New Testament where he speaks to that. He affirms that. But keep in mind the kind of kingdom impact Jesus had. His message was the kingdom of God has come here. It's here now. Repent, turn from your old ways, turn to the Lord. He always raised the stakes with his disciples. Think about the Sermon on the Mount. Throughout the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, you have heard it said, and he quotes the Old Testament, but I say to you, a much higher standard, a taller, stretcher standard, not the small standard here. Be it love, purity, you've heard it said, this is how you're to treat someone, this is how you're supposed to treat them. Integrity, you've heard it said this way, this is what I expect of my disciples. He raised the stakes for those that would follow him. Why? Because he is the one. He is salvation. He is new life. And the reward of the new covenant is that much greater and better. So 10% becomes a baseline of biblical financial stewardship that we teach. We teach it here as a church. We, I practice it. Cheryl and I practice that. And then above and beyond that in mission, we're teaching that to our children and to our youth. Even now, Joe's doing that. Michelle. And there are special times and special seasons like we're in right now that we're called to make a bigger impact for God's mission and to do so joyfully. The second gospel implication, what, how do we make sense of this 50 and 400 is this. Money is a tool, not a goal. And once we have what we need, I saw somewhere it said, after $60,000, you pretty much have covered all of your needs in America. Then we, we can focus on what matters to us. But money's a tool, not a goal. If money's our goal, we'll never have enough. It's meant to be a means to an end. And if it's a means to an end, then we can afford anything. The more money we have, the more freedom and privilege and power you have in your life, right? The more say you have, the more choices you have. The more money you have, you can choose what you do. You can go out to dinner more often, travel, buy stuff, Make more choices. Money, freedom, privilege, power, they go together. And Zacchaeus realized that in this moment. Zacchaeus realized that when he met Jesus, and Jesus gave him what money couldn't buy. And Zacchaeus realized that giving 10% of all that he had wouldn't really cost him very much in terms of freedom, privilege, or power. See, Zacchaeus wouldn't feel it to be that rich. It wouldn't change his, his lifestyle, his habits, his goals, his ambitions, his plans. It, it wouldn't be sacrificial. One of the things we're going to talk about next week is the idea of 100% participation. We want everyone to say, we're part of this plan. From the widow's might to, to our children, if they get $2 from the tooth fairy, Give 25 cents, everyone's participation, but some, like Zacchaeus, realize I could do more. Brothers and sisters, this 
Impact Initiative is not only a fundraiser, it is, but it is a faith raiser. And it is the defining moment, the course of our 40-year history as a church, there have been several specific moments, one of them, the building of this end of the campus, one of five phases. This will be the next one. So we're all being challenged, me too, to go above and beyond with a three-year pledge to expand the capacity to serve our king in King County. With all the reasons and all the rationales and all the explanations and all this packet and all that good reasons to do it, the only reason, ultimately, the number one reason is, is the Lord calling us to do it. So this month leading up to Commitment Sunday and all the many, many months ahead, I mean, we're talking months and months and years ahead, I invite you to be prayerful. It's going to bring up all kinds of feelings and emotions and disruptions to our church. Ultimately, I believe we will laugh with the Lord. There will be joy. I want you to experience the joy of gospel impact that money cannot buy, the investment in the next generation. So I ask you to please start praying now, and then we'll lead up to November 21st, which is Commitment Sunday. Four years out from even breaking ground. Think about where we were four years ago. That's about when I showed up here four years ago. Think about all that's happened in four years. And where will we be four years from now? And if the Lord wills, then this actually happens because God's people have have heard his calling to do this the next decade and one after that, celebrating our 40th anniversary and for 40 years, the impact we'll have in this area. I'd like to invite Rob and the team to come out and just have a couple of final thoughts for you. And thank you for watching at home. Everyone here is sort of stuck. It's kind of embarrassing that they ran out the door, but you can turn it off anytime you want. Maybe we joyfully look to Jesus, the God of all grace and love, to lead us. He gave us his ultimate freedom, his divine privileges. He gave up his omnipotent power. He was chained, mistreated, stripped, and died on a cross so that you and I can have the only power, privilege, freedom that really matters in life and is priceless. John 1, 12 to 13. To all who received him, receiving Jesus, to those who believed in his name, he gave the power, you can just add in the, the privilege, the freedom, to become children of God, children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or, or husband's will, but born of God. He came to seek and to save the lost, and we have the privilege and opportunity to be a part of that rescue mission because he sought you and he found you, and he called you by name, and he knows where you live, and he knows what you've done, and he knows what you are capable of doing, and he wants to be in every part of our life. God bless you, church. This is a very exciting time, very exciting time.